0: on the Google Play or App Store, or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
1: Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam, can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.
0: Welcome to the
1: Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now your host... Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. And this week on the show, we're joined by DIY bow hunting guru Eddie Claypool, plus a bonus goals, hopes, and hit list chat with the one and only Dan Johnson. All right, welcome to the Wired Hunt Podcast, brought to you by First Light. Today, we've got a great episode for you. This is a two-parter of sorts. We are continuing our What Would You Do series. We started that last week with Grant Woods, talked a lot about management and private land hunting and some cool stuff there. Today, we're keeping at it, and we've got Eddie Claypool who is a DIY and public land focused deer hunter. So we're going to get into that side of things. Eddie has been a longtime contributor to Peterson's bow hunting and a staple in the hunting kind of media world. He's a terrific whitetail deer hunter. He gets it done in tough situations. He speaks his mind freely. He's got a different perspective than a lot of people on this kind of stuff. So if you're hoping to figure out a way to kill deer on, you know, small properties or private land by permission or public land, I think Eddie's going to have some ideas that can help you. He also has kind of been going through a little bit of a a change in mindset and changing goals with his hunting, which is very interesting to talk about. So as I describe and I, I walk him through these different hunting scenarios as we do in this series, right? I tell him, okay, imagine this situation in this place on this day, you know, what would you do? You know, Eddie is is changing what he focuses on as a deer hunter. So he's actually bought his first piece of private land. So he's actually learning a little about that kind of thing. He's also changing what he wants to shoot and what his goals are going to be for hunting. So we get into that side of thing. We talk through a bunch of interesting, challenging deer hunting scenarios, which are great. Wanna learn some. And uh we also kick this episode off with a totally different kind of well, I take that back. It's not totally different because the the what would you do episode with Eddie, like I mentioned, we get into his changing mindset. We get into his changing goals. Well, that's something we also talk about in part one of this podcast. Part one of this podcast, the first hour actually, is with my good buddy Dan Johnson he was my co-host here on the Wiretemp podcast for many years when we first kicked this thing off he now runs his own podcast network uh, a great deer hunter from Iowa and what we've done every year I think since the beginning is we've done a podcast together where we talk through what our plans are for the upcoming hunting season what our goals are what we're hoping for if there's any specific bucks we're after so we decided to tack that onto the front of this podcast so, Part one of this episode is me and Dan talking through all that stuff. And we actually discuss the same kind of transition that Eddie's going through. We discuss how our goals are changing, how our hopes and expectations for hunting has changed as well. And in a big way, I've been going through this shift this year. If you've listened throughout the last 12 months, you've heard about kind of this this wild hunting season I had last year and my burnout afterwards and how I'm kind of shifting and, and changing a little bit of what I'm doing. And so me and Dan get into that a lot, as well as kind of preview some very exciting hunts we have coming up this year, some bucks we're after. Uh saw a really nice Michigan deer the other day. We're gonna talk about that deer and uh and basically everything you need to know to get ready to follow along with our twenty twenty two season. So Jam-packed episode. It's a long episode. It's over two hours, I'm I'm guessing, this thing is going to come out too. So stick around for the full thing. Part one, that first, just under an hour, right around that first hour is me and Dan. If you don't give a rip about me or Dan, you can fast forward if you want to hour number two in which we do the What Would Eddie Claypool Do section. So that is the game plan. I appreciate you tuning in. I'll give you one plug We talked about this over the past couple weeks. I'm just gonna remind you again one more time. I put together a recent selection of my top gear recommendations that we've got over at the Mediator store for this late summer, early season time period. I've got some of my recommended targets, some of my shooting supplies, the clothes I like to wear for summer scouting or summer shooting, and then also my early season whitetail kit from First Light. The shirt I like, the pants I like, uh, I think I even included the face mask I used for the early season. All that stuff is on my new gear recommendation page. You can find it at store.themeat slash mark. So go to the meat eater store slash mark. store.themeat slash mark. That's going to be my gear recommendation. We're hopefully going to have, you know, that's going to be a rotating list of things so if you're in the market for something new as far as hunting gear and you're trying to figure out what a good option might be I'm going to put some things on there that I personally use and like we stock a whole lot of different hunting gear now on the mediator store, it's not just first light gear now, it's not just our Phelps game calls, it's not just the FHF bino harnesses, we're selling all sorts of things now, Vortex Optics, Sig Sauer Optics uh, Yeti Coolers, Targets uh, Shirts, Water Bottle I mean, I don't know the folks on that business side of things are just really getting after it. building uh the mediator store into into quite the quite the machine and all of that what's cool about that i know nobody wants to hear about buying stuff but the cool thing about what mediators doing there with the store and everything is that allows people like me to do these podcasts to film these tv shows to write the articles to do all this stuff and put it out there for free for you guys Uh, so hopefully that helps you out a ton is stuff that's helping you learn, inspire you, entertain you, whatever it is. Uh, I hope it's stuff that you're finding a lot of value in. So thanks again for checking that stuff out. Thanks for tuning in today. I am fired up. I am fully 2000% ready for hunting season. Very excited very excited for this conversation today. Me and Dan had a blast catching up. If you are a longtime listener, this is going to be like mama's apple pie. This is going to be some comfort food for you here in part one. I think you're going to enjoy it. And if you are not a longtime listener, maybe hearing me and Dan will inspire you to go back to the beginning and listen to some of those episodes in the early days where me and Dan were just figuring this stuff out. And we were knuckleheads. We didn't know what we were doing. We are sharing the ups and downs and having fun along the way and uh, probably making fools of ourselves. But it's been a good ride. So thanks for being along for it. Thanks for tuning in. And let's get to part one with me and Dan Johnson talking through goals, hopes, and hit lists. And then as soon as that wraps up, we will jump right to my chat with Eddie Claypool. All right. Now with me on the show, back from a long uh i don't know what the right word is a long uh yeah whatever that is (laughs) we got dan johnson my long time (laughs) i I
2: just had to get it out there yeah i'm feeling jack today
1: bud Wired Hunt co-host my great buddy and the emperor of the sportsman's empire dan welcome back to the show
2: hey hey thanks for having me mark it's good to hear your voice man i know especially
1: like this time of year i just need some dan johnson in my life to to bring me back to the Bring me back to Earth. Get me re-excited. Uh, yeah, this what's is just all this, what the doctor ordered.
2: What's all this running bullshit that you're doing? Are you trying to be Cam Haynes?
1: <laughs> no, not going to get it quite that far. But uh, just trying to make sure I don't turn into Dan Johnson. <laughs> so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, dude, I set myself up for that one. That <laughs> yeah. was hilarious. Dude, that yeah. was hilarious. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: I, uh, yeah, yeah, just, just trying to, just trying to maintain a, a decent fitness. So, yeah, man, right. Been doing, uh, been sticking to the running and did that race this spring and that was cool. So, first, first wow. race of any kind I've done since like middle school cross country. Wow. So, it felt, I'm proud of you. Thank you. I was, uh, I was proud too. I finished my first mm-hmm. half marathon and did pretty good. So, that was, that's cool.
2: Yep. Yeah. I wish I had something physical that I could tell you I've accomplished in the last couple months or or this summer or anything like that, but it's not, I don't have, I'm I'm like, my knees hurt a little bit less than normal this week. That's good. But other than that, the rest of my body hurts. So I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know what's going on.
1: Well, here's one thing I did want to ask you about from the last few months. This happened like early this summer, I think. But Mm -hmm. I introduced you as the emperor of the sportsman's empire. Yeah. So, so why the name change and, and plug sportsman's empire and everything you've got going on these days. Cause you're just going like gangbusters. And since the last time you were on the show, I think you've added another like five podcasts or something. So what's, what's new with your business
2: world? Oh dude, it's nuts. Like I don't, I, I, I still don't understand it. Right. Like I don't understand how something that I have done, has turned out to be as successful as it is, right? So, and when I mean successful, I don't mean like I'm a millionaire. I mean, I'm actually getting to do this for a living, right? So, like, it started off with the Nine Finger Chronicles, and that was great. Then the the Sportsman's Nation happened. And then basically to avoid, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it, you know, sometimes in, in the business world, there's some bullshit. Right. Some bullshit popped up. And uh, I instead of going to bat and trying to fight it, which I did for a little bit, uh, I decided just to flip it uh, just by one word and go with the sportsman's empire. And uh, and now I'm safe and uh, the sportsman's empire. And and I I could sit here and I could tell you that uh, it was it was planned. It wasn't planned. Uh, It was just, you know, sometimes crazy things in business happen and I needed an adjustment. So I made the adjustment and uh, we're still firing on all cylinders. So it was a seamless transition into the, from the sportsman's nation to the sportsman's empire. And uh, things are good. And I don't know, man, we, we just, we continue to put out really good content from some really, really good content providers. And it's like a family over here, man. It's pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. So if there was like, Now, I don't want you to offend any of your family members, but if you had to recommend for for people that listen to Wired to Hunt. So for folks that, you know, you know, the folks that listen to Wired to Hunt. If they wanted to try out some of the shows over in your crew, who would be like a couple of the top shows they should check out? That'd be like a good fill in the gaps when they don't have any Wired to Hunt to listen to.
2: Yeah. So that's a great question. And so. The good thing about the uh, Sportsman's Empire is there's a couple podcasts in there that are state specific. For example, Missouri, Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Michigan coming very soon, Wisconsin, and uh, and I think there's one more, uh, Oklahoma. Okay, so if you're living those states, we have state specific content coming out for you. All right, but you know how me and you we're Midwestern guys. And so we don't really know too much about the strategies and tactics of the South. Yep. Um, my buddy Parker McDonald over at the Southern ground podcast, he is, uh, he's killing it with Southern focused content. He's great. Yeah. He's the man you, and you've hung out with him before too. Yeah. Um, and then for someone who wants to do something a little different and, uh, Man, I could sit here and talk about all these podcasts, man. There's there's so much there's so much good content. If you're a habitat guy, uh, if you're a uh, a DIY junkie, like we have stuff for that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go way out, out of the box here, and I'm gonna say there's a there's a podcast, and it is prop it is the biggest sporting dogs podcast out there. It's called the Houndsman XP podcast. These guys are diehard coon hunters and uh, competitive uh, coon hunting. They talk about dog breeding. They talk about that lifestyle and things like that. It's very interesting. It's uh, it's one of the top performers on on the network. And uh, because the you know just like just like all the podcasts, the people behind it are real passionate about what they do. Yeah. And that you can just feel that through the their 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 podcast. Sweet. I love mm-hmm. it. Well, glad you're uh, I'm
1: glad it's going on all cylinders, man. And my yeah. only question then is: is all of this business success and crazy work? I, I know it's one of those things like you do, you took this job, like you chased this dream, so you'd have mm-hmm. time to go hunt and stuff. But I know yeah. sometimes it ends up being the opposite, and that we get so obsessed with our business work, and that there's so much to yeah. do, and all the pressure's on you that you then don't get outside as much. Do you feel yeah. like? Leading into this hunting season, are you in a good place to get out in the woods, or are you going to be slammed and sitting at
2: the computer the whole series? So I just hired a guy. So, nice. and Josh, if you're listening, I, I mean this with all due respect. I hope he's slammed and not me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, um, but no, I, I hired a guy to help me out. And uh, so that's, that's a win right there. As far as the business side of it is concerned, yes, man, it, it's, it's taking up a lot more time and I, the prep work for the seasons, uh, I'm behind, right? Like I'm behind on trail cameras. I'm behind on any type of scouting. I'm behind on the tree stand setups and things like that, that I've done in the past, which in the past, I've relied a lot on that. But in the, the recent past, I found success doing the, you know, the, the mobile, you know, in first time in best time in type scenarios, just like last year. And a lot of focus on Western hunts where you can't, you can't scout throughout. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to make a trip out West just to scout, you know, during the summer months or the fall. And, but so that's the negative part of it. But the positive part of it is, is the brownie points have been at a all time high this year. As far as being the little league coach, you know, being the soccer coach, nice. um, doing things with the family, doing things with a wife. Right. I just got back from a, a, a husband wife trip for, uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, so the brownie points, they're stacked this year. And I am going to use every single one of them this this fall. Like Heck I'm yeah. planning on I'm going bananas. And I think my wife knows that. And so far, she's cool with it. So. We'll see what happens.
1: Did you get her name tattooed on your butt cheek? I saw you got a new tattoo the other day. Mm -mm.
2: No, I got a, I got a picture of you on my (laughs) forearm.
1: I would, I would die happy man if that was the case.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I got a, I got my my kids initials, uh, a, a A M K on my, uh, on my forearm. And I got a pretty cool on my other forearm. I got a cool looking arrow. Nice. And, you know, I didn't, I've, I don't have any hunting related tattoos and it was time I was feeling it. And I was like, you know what? I'm here in Nashville. Why don't I get, get an arrow? And, uh, and so here's the cool thing though. I'm getting this tattoo and my tattoo artist, he's killed one deer. He's from New York city. He moved to Nashville. He's dating a girl from Nashville whose parents own a, a ranch in Montana. Oh man. And he went out there and he shot his first deer. I think it was last year, or the year before. And so we had these, this awesome conversation while I'm getting a fresh tattoo about hunting and, you know, like, what's the next step if I want to do this? I'm, and I'm like, man, I'm going to need a bigger tattoo because this, this conversation doesn't take, you know, isn't a quick conversation. So it was, uh, that, that, that portion of it was cool because he, he really wants to get into more hunting. So. That's sweet. Did you send to the yeah. sportsman's empire Do you, you bust out that business card. Oh yeah, dude. I, I, I sent it to him. I, I showed him some pics. He showed me some pics and, and uh, I think, I think we're going to probably stay in contact and, and uh, hopefully uh, I, I don't, I didn't want to say a mentor because, because uh, I told him, Hey man, I know people in Tennessee, I know people in Northern Alabama or in this general area. So if you're looking to be more educated, I said, I'll hook you up any way I can. So that, uh, you know, I, I did my part to try to get this guy to stay in hunting and, uh, and spread his wings into archery. Very cool. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Well, Any uh, new tattoos for you? Any new tattoos? Yeah. Have you gotten a tattoo? No. Lately? No. Do you have any tattoos? I do not do not are you ever gonna get a tattoo you know
1: I actually have been considering it yeah. um my wife is really into tattoos so she okay. she wants to get some new ones she's got I don't know five or something like that and she's threatening to get something new and so I've got to thinking maybe I would go and and get my first one um it would probably have to be your face on my forearm so <laughs> yeah dude that we'll would see. be
2: sweet we should get we should get matching tattoos my <laughs> face on your forearm your face your face on my uh, crotch inside of my thigh or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds good. Huh? That sounds really cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I, I have thought in all seriousness, like maybe a tattoo on like my upper arm or forearm. Yeah. It'd have to be something like hunting, fishing outdoor related, something that just basically like stamps me forever. Like this is my thing. Um, I yeah. just haven't figured out what that right thing is. So eh, we'll see. So
2: I got a, I got an idea. This is what I think my next tattoo is going to be. Cause after I got this tattoo, it looks pretty sweet and it's very simple, but I, I want something with meaning. And I thought about getting a, a, a pretty cool uh, tattoo of topo lines. And mm-hmm. in that, this topo line is going to have a little star in it somewhere. And it's going to, be the location of like my favorite tree stand to hunt That is cool, and I, I and i you can look at it and go man like look at all the memories i can see just on these topo lines so or or like gps coordinates or something like that
1: yeah that is that is cool and something like you like only you would be able to learn out about and like look at and be able to yep. see all the detail and remember what those little lines actually stand for that's yeah that's a cool idea dan yeah
2: oh man oh.
1: I like it. Well, here here's How's uh How's the boys? The boys are crazy. I mean, they're yeah. they're 2 and 4 now, so you know what those ages are like. Yep. Um they're a blast. We just got back from Idaho, so we were out there for the last 3 months and uh they were just wild mountain men. Did a lot of camping. I think we camped like 17, 18 nights and mm-hmm. um did a lot of hiking and a lot of a lot of water time this year cuz the kids are just very very into catching critters now so my yeah. oldest has become like He has my DNA, no doubt about it. Like, he is obsessed. Like, he will sit by the creek with his net and catch minnows. He would literally do it for eight hours straight. Like, he can focus and wants nothing else but to catch an animal. So he's been, this year was the first year he really was able to put all together and start doing all the stuff on his own. So he's catching minnows. He's catching, like, big sculpin. He's catching crayfish. He's catching frogs um, and tadpoles. And so he's just, like. That's all he wants to do is catch these things. So he we, had, we did a lot of that. More and more fishing. Um, Everett caught his first fish on a fly rod 100% by himself this year. So oh, that yeah. was pretty sweet. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just did a lot of exploring, a lot of climbing boulders and just being boys, boys being boys. Yeah. So it was a great That's summer. Awesome, had a lot of That's fun. Awesome. Caught a lot of fish. And, uh, and now though, like everyone's brain is switching to whitetails in a big way. Hell yeah. We're back in Michigan. The boys are playing right now. Literally just before I started this podcast, the boys came crashing into my office and said, we need our rattling antlers. And they came in here and (laughs) got rattling antlers. And the two year old has got his like orange beanie on his head. Everett's got a bino harness on his chest. (laughs) I'm like, you guys are nuts. They're, uh. They're really into it. So they, just, they play hunting all the time and they shoot their bows and it's, it's super fun. The whole brother dynamic has really gotten to a new place now that, now that Colt's yeah. old enough that they can really engage like peers. So yeah. they're just a terrible twosome. And uh, luckily they seem to be into the stuff that I'm into right now and we're, we're having That's a lot awesome. of fun sharing it together. So. That's awesome, man. Um, I'm excited for this fall. Hopefully more blood trails and stuff. I think I told you last time that Everett is just like, he doesn't have the colorblindness issue that I have. So he is like my blood trailing savior. He can <laughs> see him, blood so Go much better than me. Yeah, he's my new trailing dog. So he just goes out there. He's like, there's blood, there's blood, there's blood. So it's very, very
2: handy. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome.
1: So um, so that, I think that's a great segue into like the main thing that I was hoping we could talk about today which is like what our hopes are for the year. Like, you know, every, I think every year yeah. we've done like a goals, hopes, and hit lists conversation. Yep.
2: Yep. So, I've gotten a request. The guy, some, some guy, uh, hit me up on, uh, instagram the other day and he's like hey when are you and mark gonna do yeah another one of these these are my favorite episodes
1: yeah exactly i've gotten i've gotten some of those too so we had to do it we got to get mm-hmm. get caught up and get caught up on you know what's what we're doing this coming year uh what our hopes and goals are for the year if we have any specific hit list bucks all that kind of stuff so uh figured now would be the perfect time since the since the ramp up is in full speed now so are you yeah. game are you game for that i'm down let's get it started all right. What do you, uh, let's first like cover plans. Like just like, where yeah. are you hunting? And I'll, I'll do the same too. Cause I haven't talked about this either. So what's your 2022 yeah. slate?
2: Yeah, man. So about a month ago, my 2022 slate got flipped up on what I thought was going to happen in here in Iowa. All right. So I didn't really, I didn't kind of know that if you asked me a month ago, how, what, the fall was going to look like, I, it would have been uncertain. I, I don't know what would have happened. Right. I, I have my main farm where I killed my buck last year in Iowa, still there, but I lost, uh, I lost a, the farm that I hunt. That's really close to me. Right. The landowner passed away and mm-hmm. the kids are going to sell it. Right? Right. Yep. So, uh, so I'm down, I'm down that property. And then the previous year I lost, uh, I lost, uh, uh, what was it, like 160 acres. So, uh, but I, I didn't do anything off season to kind of try to find anything new per se for, you know, to find new property. I, I've just been leaning towards the the public side of things, all right? Uh, so was, I was a little uncertain. Well, here's the very short story of it. Uh, I got connected with a guy who owns like i want to say just under 2 i think it's somewhere around 200 acres in a different county here in Iowa that nobody hunts and he's like well my my uh my cousin hunted it uh he passed away 2 years ago and no one no one hunts it anymore and if you would like to you know you're more than you're more than welcome to go come hunt it and nice. so that intrigues me yeah so uh it's a lot of ag ground but it's in a really good neighborhood And so I kind of just fell into this property. I had some help from uh, another, uh, another guy and who lives in Wisconsin. He's like, man, I can't hunt Iowa every year. You know, why don't you take a look at the, you know, take a look at this property. Let me know what you think. And when I draw an Iowa tag, maybe you can show me the ropes. And I'm like, yeah, dude, absolutely. Let's do it. So I, I, I picked that piece of property up. And I think Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, I'm going to be heading down there to throw up uh, some trail cameras, do a a quick summer push for scouting and, and then hopefully come back in a month or so, check the trail cameras and, and just see what's living on this property. The guy says, now, I don't know the definition of good deer is different for all people. So I don't know what good, what he means by good deer. You know, my definition is might be different from his cousin's definition um, he said he's found some good antlers, uh, shed hunting it before. So I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm jacked to go start the process over. It's been a couple of years since I've gotten a new property and, so much fun. Uh, and it's, yeah, exactly. I love that, you know, starting a fresh chess game on a new board and, you know, playing, the playing the game and, and we'll see what happens on there, but I'm going to South Dakota for sure more than likely going to be going to nebraska in let's see nebraska in september i think october i'm going to go to south dakota and depending on how what october looks like dude i'm going to try to get down to oklahoma and possibly missouri this year nice yeah so you add in uh, that's what that's what i'm saying mark the brownie points are at an all-time high and i think i'm going to be able to get away with it
1: cashing them in Oh, dude. I'm,
2: I'm, and I'm burning the bridge down, too. And, I'm gonna, and then after the season's over, I'll rebuild it all, yep. put the brownie points back in the pot, and, and, and start all over again. It's an annual cycle.
1: What uh, Now, yeah. I know you're Nebraska and South. Are you doing the same kind of stuff you've done in Nebraska and South Dakota, same areas, same general type of hunt?
2: Yeah, somewhat. There's been some changes recently in, with units and tag allocations in Nebraska. So yeah. that part has to be will be changed but south dakota probably going to one of the same areas that i've gone to not last year but the year before um it's going to be a mule deer focused trip oklahoma will probably be will be a whitetail however they got some uh they got some mule deer in western oklahoma too don't know what i'm going to do there and then missouri will be a probably like one of those four-day hunts where I, i pop down there during the week hit them up And, uh, you know, hit a piece of public up, see what I can do closer to late October. And, uh, and then if I do good in Iowa and I connect right off the bat, like I did last year, then I'll drop down and go somewhere else, uh, and down back down to Oklahoma or back down to Missouri or something like that.
1: So the Oklahoma, Missouri stuff, is that, is that both public land and you're Mm -hmm. just like, just winging it and going to try to find something or have you like scouted and found spots you like already? Or what's, what's the progress? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so uh, I've done uh, it, most of it's just been digital scouting, right? Looking for uh, water access. Uh, I'm like one chin hair away from buying a beater a beater boat that I can use to pull down there nice. and some some of these properties and access public ground through waterways, right? <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. It's uh some of that stuff still up in the air guaranteed for sure. 100% cause I already have the tag is South Dakota, but how the rest of those three States lay out because they're close, you know, and and way on the back burner is also Minnesota and Wisconsin Jeez. because yeah, just, just, and that's way on the back burner because of how close everything is to Iowa. And so if you know, some of those aren't going to happen, but if I, if I have one of those dream years that everybody talks about and you just, you show up someplace, shoot a deer, show up someplace, shoot a deer, show up someplace, shoot a deer. And, uh, I, I have all my tags filled and I still have time. Well then I'll, I'm going to use that time this year and, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do some exploring and and have a little adventure this year.
1: What, what happened to you? Because I remember a few years ago, Dan, I was always bitching at you like, Oh, go hunt some other places, hunt some other places. And you said, why would I ever leave Iowa when right. everywhere else I go, I know won't be as good as this. So why would I leave here? <laughs> yeah. So what happened, yeah. Dan? How, how, other than the fact that you have a lot more flexibility with your job, Yeah. what changed in your brain that now all of a sudden you're wanting to go chase public land deer on all these other states where I'm telling you one thing, Dan, I know from experience, it will not be as good as your stuff in Iowa. <laughs> no,
2: no, no. And it. it dude, there's been a, I think we've even talked about this in one of the episodes and I can't remember if it was me on yours or yours on mine, but you know, you have this awakening where you really kind of, what is important Mm -hmm. type of deal. And, and yes, I'm all, it's awesome for me to be able to go chase big bucks in Iowa. And my standard in Iowa is higher than anywhere else. I real, I realize that now, and I realize that I can go out and, and Killing my buck in South Dakota last year was a perfect example. He's not a giant. He wasn't the, even the biggest deer that I saw or attempted to hunt, but I got him and it was an amazing experience and yeah. I had so much fun doing it. And I'm like, dude, if I can fit this in other places, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And so it's not about like it's in Iowa. Yes. It's about trying to locate the biggest, baddest buck. Right. But there's so much other adventure out there. Uh, landscape changes, just the experience behind all of it. That's what I want now. And I want to be able to go, you know, talk to my kids or my grandkids or some buddies at a trade show or, or, you know, at a bar and be like, Oh dude, I, have hunted Nebraska. Oh yeah. I've hunted there. Yeah. I've hunted there too. Oh yeah. I've hunted there. Yeah, That's a great place. I, I like that state, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's just more about realizing that, Dude, nobody lives forever. And if you want to go do some of this right now is the time to go do it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: man. You are speaking my language. I'm right there with you. It's, uh,
2: it's awesome stuff, man. I'm glad
1: to hear it. You're gonna have a fun season.
2: Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. And, um, I don't know, man, we'll, we'll see what happens. What about you, dude? Are are you, uh, I know that what last year was a full schedule for you. Yeah. So what's what's on the docket this year?
1: Yeah, so last year was nuts and as you and I talked about this spring on your show, it like forced me into like rethinking a lot of stuff and yeah. pivoting and and kind of refocusing on what matters to me kind of like you said and what mm-hmm. makes me happy and satisfied with all this kind of stuff. So so this year I think is going to be a pretty different year in a lot of regards and I'm 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 very fired up and excited about it again, but it took me a while to get here. Like I had a long period this winter and spring where I just didn't want to think about any of this stuff or do any of this stuff. I had a serious burnout issue this year, Yeah, uh, but I'm back and, uh, and stoked about it. So we can talk about some of that stuff. But as far as like this literal plans where I'm going, I'm going to do the Idaho public land thing again for whitetails. Basically I've got further
2: like, coming with you.
1: Uh, Further's coming. Yep so i'm
2: hoping i was hoping to weasel my way in there and be like oh further can't come well i know someone who might come well you
1: give me a shout if you want to come (laughs) along one of these times there's there's lots of stuff out there um i believe it it's it's a it's a it's a tough it's a it's a weird situation so it's a tough spot but also like there's good opportunity and it's kicked my tail the last couple of years and uh me and further just want to like get it done at least once before we explore anywhere else. So little redemption. Exactly. So we're going to do the Idaho thing. And then in October, basically what I did like last year, I had like nine different States, I think. And there was like periods where I was gone, like three weeks out of four. And it was just too much, way too much travel, way too much, just like anxiety around every one of these trips and what we were trying to get done. Yada, yada, yada. So this year I've just tried to scale back a lot of stuff and, and, do things that are just like for fun. I'm just choosing places and doing hunts now that are like something I'm going to be excited about to go to this place or to be with this person or something like that versus like, Oh, I got to go to this spot cause I'm going to kill 160 inch buck or anything like that. It's, you know, when we get to our goals, I'll talk about that more, but basically like the Idaho hunt is fun because me and Furter go there and there's this place and we can fish and we can hunt and it's cool. So then in October, me and our buddy Tony Peterson are gonna do a hunt together in North Dakota. And that one's gonna be fun because it's an area that we both just think super pretty, super cool, and hopefully we'll kill a deer there. And that'll be like we're gonna go out and camp there, hunt public land, and uh, you know, not high standards, shoot whatever we can shoot. But that'll be cool. So that's my October trip. Um in November I'm doing uh I am filming a hunt in November And that is for our one week in November show that we did last year. We're doing a season two of that. And I'm filming that hunt in Nebraska, first week of November. And that one's going to be another one that I chose just because, like, it's a super fun area. I'm going to try to kill one with the handheld decoy again because I tried that last year for the first time. And I didn't get it done, but I had a riot. Like, it was a lot of fun. And I want to give it a shot again. So we're going to go do that. So that'll be a very different kind of rut hunt, right? I'm just be running around chasing stuff and uh, just enjoying myself. So that's my November yeah. trip. And then in December, I'm going to go and hunt with, do you know the guys from The Element, Tyler Jones and Casey Smith? Yeah. You do? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've met, I've, uh, I don't think I've met them in person, but I've talked to them.
1: Yeah. Cool dudes. And um, yep. they're doing some stuff with us. And so I'm going to go hunt with them in Texas on some public land down there, which sounds like it'll be gnarly just like spiny yeah. thorny cactusy crap and uh we're gonna try to kill a whitetail down there on public so that is the that's the for sure plan so like one trip a month versus like three trips a month so i think it'll be much more yeah. manageable from the travel front uh, and then of course i'll be hunting at home in michigan on my michigan places and that'll be throughout all that and then there's a there's a chance i'm still kind of working on it but i might have access to some stuff in ohio and if that nice. ends up coming through, that'll be kind of like my, oh, I'll go for a day this week. I'll go for two days next week. That'll be just kind of here or there since that's relatively close to home. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what my 22 season looks like. It's uh, what, Idaho, Dakota, Nebraska, and Texas. So it's all public land, I guess, as far as all yeah. the traveling hunts. But Michigan and Ohio would be private. Um, so good mix of stuff, good mix of the country. Um, and... You know, last year, as you know, I was filming those two shows and one of those shows was a lot of that travel and it was just like, it was just, it's, it's going to be nice this year to not be filming as much. Not that I don't yeah. like to film, but filming just adds something that just makes it more difficult more stressful. It's not quite the same kind of experience. And so this year, I'm scaling back a little bit on it. And I think that'll be nice. Just a little reset button for me and doing yeah. some some fun different hunts but fun or fun in the way that i can just like go out there experience them have stories to tell from them but not necessarily the same burden that the camera brings so
2: yeah yeah that's that's yeah. what i've got on schedule I'm, I'm pretty excited about it let me let me ask you this <clears throat> after a burnout season like you mentioned how how and when does that recovery go from burnout to the fire started again? What's that look like?
1: So for me, it really was like all like, you know, my season ended like January 12th or something like that. And from January till like the summer, I really was not too into, you know, getting serious about deer stuff. It really was like. Four or five, six months. Not that I wasn't doing things. I was still writing about deer stuff. I was still doing a few things here and there. Um, but it wasn't like I was throwing on a deer hunting show on YouTube or something. I was not consuming yeah. deer content for fun. I wasn't like texting buddies about deer for fun. Um, I went the opposite and I like just removed myself from it in a big way and went hard on like the other things I like. So I have I probably have had my fishiest year ever. Like I fished more probably than ever before. Really, yeah. you know, continue diving down that wormhole and have had a blast doing that. Um, really, really, really enjoy that. And that's like zero pressure, zero expectations, just like, just fun, nothing else. And and I've needed that. Like, I've needed that thing I can, like, uh, dive into without any of the other, like, strings attached. And And so that's been a blast. But then, like, you know, June may and june probably starting to get the itch and then july like all right like i was fired up and now that august is here like now i'm i'm full-blown obsessed mode where like every night i'm watching some kind of video at night or i'm reading some kind of article or i'm going back and listening to old podcasts or i'm staring at my maps and all that kind of stuff but it took me you know it took me a good chunk of time to get back there um and I'm glad I'm back there, and I've had like a lot of like we had a really good conversation this spring, you and I talking about this stuff and I've had a couple of those and I've had to kind of like just like last year was really like a breaking point for me in like a lot of different ways and just like what I want to do with this in this world you know what's what what are my goals for myself with the, with this thing I've been doing and who do I want to be and who do I not want to be? Have I been chasing like something that's maybe not really what I want? And I've kind of landed in a place that has me feeling better than I have in a long time. Uh, just basically like a big middle finger to, to the expectations of what other people might want of me or what other people are doing. I think the, the saying is like comparison is the death of joy. Or something like that, yeah, and I think yeah. I've realized that for too long I've allowed myself to be too worried about how I compare to other people or how my performance compares to other people or how my success or my numbers or whatever i think i I'm, I'm very as people know i'm very goal oriented very achievement oriented and I sometimes have let that like get into my head too much, and I finally kind of decided like I don't need to be. I don't need to be Mark Drury or Andy May or Levi Morgan. I'm, I'm not going to be like, I, I can be a very happy deer hunter. And I think I can still be successful in this line of business, just being what I am, which is someone who loves this stuff. Someone who's a pretty good storyteller, but f- someone who's, you know, a decent, but average hunter. Like I screw up a lot. I don't always, I'm not always going to be killing big deer and I don't always want to do that. I don't want my life to be 150% nothing, but, you know, managing and growing deer and shooting two hundreds every year. Maybe I'm just going to be a person who loves to fish and hike and camp too, and really loves to deer hunt and gets out there and kills a good one every few years, but also screws up every few years and good or bad. He's going to tell a fun story about it that you can relate to. Like, I think that's the only thing that has led to me being successful in any kind of way. And rather than fighting to be something different than that, I think I'm just coming to terms with being who I am and what I am and, embracing that and and enjoying that versus like punishing myself because I'm not killing four big bucks a year because I don't have as successful of a video series as somebody else. Like forget all that stuff. I'm just sick of worrying about that kind of thing. And, uh, and all that, I think kind of, I had to have like a year like last year where I kind of realized like you were just killing yourself for a stupid yeah. thing. Get back to the fun of it. And so that's, that's where I am this year, I think. And, um, I think also last year, like I killed, I had a tough year in so many different ways, but another thing I did, which was kind of freeing was I killed a couple young bucks and you know, it was actually fun and I don't really feel bad about it. And I think that also changed my perspective on what I can do and what I should do and what I will do as well. So I'm not going to feel bad if I go out on one of these public land hunts and, you know, tag a smaller buck or younger buck if that's if that gets me excited if that would be something i'd be pretty pumped about um i'm just kind of done with comments on youtube or what people send me on dms on instagram or what someone at work says or whatever i'm just gonna do me and uh i think that's gonna i think that's gonna work pretty well
2: hey you go get it like I, i love that i uh dude i'm I'm in the same boat, man. The best part about all that, you can kind of boil it down, is is, uh, I stopped giving a shit about what other people thought about me a very long time ago. And uh, um, it's freeing to be able to do what you want and enjoy your own success the way you define it, not someone else. So, uh, dude, I hope that whatever you're looking for, you find it and you slay it nice buddy so
1: let's let's talk about that a little more let's talk goals so i'll just briefly expound on what i just said there my 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 season is very different than maybe like six seven years ago when you and i did one of these episodes because back then Mm -hmm. or even five or six years ago we would have these goals hopes and hit list conversation and i'd be like all right my goal is to kill a five-year-old buck in michigan or like a four or five-year-old buck in ohio and i want to kill only holy field in Michigan, and I got to fill a tag in this state and this state. I, you know, I was very that. Right. This year, I only have two goals. Goal number one is just is just keep it fun. Like I just want this year okay. to be fun. And that, like, anytime I'm in a tough spot or I'm debating what to do or I'm sitting there and I'm starting to stress out about should I hunt here or there, I'm just gonna remind myself, is this fun? And I'm gonna do what's what's fun this year. And I'm actually betting that that's probably going to make me more successful too, or at least okay with whatever success comes by. Because as you have, you've heard over many years, I allow myself to get pretty stressed out during the hunting season. So this year it's like, I keep on telling myself it's going to be my season of joy. Like that's what it's going to be about. So that's goal. Number one. And then goal number two is shooting. I just want good, clean shots. I don't want any more rush shots. I don't want a gut shot. I don't want to miss. I just want good shots. So this spring, this is one thing I have been doing all year more than I have in the past. I've kept shooting all through the whole year, pretty much. And in April, I met with a shooting coach, had a really good time with him and uh, kind of tore down my whole system again and rebuilt it. And I've been shooting since April all the way through the summer. And I'm feeling better about my shooting than ever before. So I'm excited about that. And I just want that to continue this year. So if I can have fun all year and if I can, you know, sometimes you can't control the situation, but if I can feel like I had in control shots this year where I know I did my part right, at least then this year is going to be a success. I don't care what I shoot. I don't care if it's five big bucks or nothing. If I can do those two things, this is going to be a, uh, a very successful year. So those are my two goals. For this year now yeah. i do have other hopes but those are my two
2: goals so that's that's what i got there what do you got from a goal standpoint man i tell you what i it's like the more i do this the less i want to make goals because something always happens or something changes so quickly before a moment of success or before a moment of failure you find yourself going you know that's not even what i wanted in the first place but your mind changed. Right. So if I, you know, right now in Iowa and I'm after a big, fat, mature buck, right. That's, that's what I want. I want a four, four-year-old or older, five-year-old or older. Um, I don't know if he's got big fat, if he's got big antlers, that would be awesome. Um, no lie there. <laughs> but, uh, on, on top of that, you know, on my out of state hunts, it's going to be any legal, any legal buck. Uh, and then as those vacation time or as that, uh, that trip starts to wind down, it's going to be any legal deer. So I don't know, man, it's I'm, I, I like to go into these things with absolutely zero expectations now and just go with the flow and let whatever happens happens. And, and I think that if, if you start to what, what I, my goal is to learn how to hunt animals in different environments. And so when I go out West to Nebraska, completely different landscape than what I hunt in Iowa or South Dakota, or, you know, this year, Oklahoma, these are different landscapes. So in order for me to be successful, I have to learn. And I can't, I can't just say, Hey, I'm looking for any legal buck because hell, I don't even know where any legal buck lives out there right now. I have to go educate myself on how to hunt in these environments And, and use the principles from how I think deer move in other scenarios or what I've learned in the shorter period, you know, short period of time in some of my other Western hunting experiences or out of state hunts and, and really go and try to focus on, you know, focus on what, how, how they move through the terrain and just learn about deer behavior in other environments. And, and once I can do that, then I feel like I can go, okay. My goal this year is this because I know how they live out here now. And, and honestly, man, I wish I could say, I I do know how they live, but I really don't. It's, it's just, I, I'm not, I'm still in data collection mode and education mode on my out of state hunts. Uh, and in Iowa, I'm in a completely different mode. I'm in, you know, I'm in locate a big deer and try to kill him mode. So two completely different. Uh, like set of expectations, two different uh, goals. You know all that stuff. So
3: yeah. yeah,
2: That's that's my goal. I get that. Now y-
1: you mentioned Iowa being different. Yeah. Do you have any bucks that you hope made it to this year from the from last year that you know and have history with? Or is there any that you? actually know for sure based on a picture excel cam picture anything yet like do you have any specific deer that you know would tickle your fancy if they showed up
2: yeah there's there only this year only one because be, well i lost the main property the where i think I, I told the story about uh i was one ridge over all last year from a, a really big deer lost mm-hmm. that property right However, it's next to some public, so I might be able to backdoor in there and uh, maybe see if it's running that core area as well. I might throw a trail camera up in there uh, come, you know, come September. But outside of that, I I really do think that um, outside of that, man, one buck, I think there's one deer that showed up last year that was, well, excuse me, two. Uh, both of them eight-pointers. One was a clean, clean four-year-old. I mean, he was pretty He was pretty wide. He was pretty tall. I mean, he's like a giant eight. Uh, and then another eight-pointer, not as big of a frame, but he had junk all over the place, like junk on the bases, junk coming off the G2s and things like that. And uh, the first one that I mentioned, I didn't get any pictures of him after the season, but the the eight-pointer with junk that showed up, he showed up late January after the season's over. So, but I haven't had any pictures of him yet so far. However, all my trail cameras are out late. I have one cell camera up in that area and it's not catching anything too serious. I do I did have one mature buck on camera so far, only one. He's an 8-pointer too, but uh I he's not right on that cusp of do I want to put my tag around him or not. So, we'll see. Um, so as far as just to answer your question, probably just one deer so far that I have any type of history with.
1: Well, uh, does that, does that make you nervous at all? Or do you feel like, you know, you've had years like this in the past and yeah. by September, October, they'll be there.
2: Yeah, dude. That's why I try not to get so jacked up anymore because I look at, I look, you know, seven years ago, when, you know, when we started the, uh, uh, the wired to hunt podcast at we would have these conversations and I would say, oh, Mark, dude, I got seven shooters on the property right now. And every Mm -hmm. year, guess what would happen at September? The old shift. They're gone. Yep, the old September shift. And so that, I I know it's coming. So I know sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. So I don't even get my hopes up anymore until it's time to go actually hunt those properties. And, And so sometimes I may not even, I may not even really get too hype about anything anymore until October or like late October. I mean, and so who knows, like, who knows what's going to, what's going to happen. And a lot of it has to depend on my first, my first card pull before the, the process starts. If that makes sense, right? Locating a deer via trail camera, trying to tra- triangulate his position, and then hop into a really good terrain feature uh, where he's at at that time, and and hopefully, uh, I don't know, man. Hopefully, get have an encounter with a shooter. Yeah,
3: hmm.
2: we've come a long way, haven't we? Things have changed. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's all for the better too, right? I I, I find myself enjoying. <clears throat> The time spent in the tree stand more these days than you know even five years ago, where it was, man, I, you know I gotta shoot a buck, I gotta shoot a buck. Now, I, I know what I need to do. I just you know if a deer show, like I just I just need the deer to show up. Yeah, and you can't you can't sit there and stress and like oh my god a deer is not showing up. I am I'm so frustrated. Well. you're wasting your energy at that point, right? You you gotta, you gotta start over again. And then you keep, you keep going through whatever process works for you. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I wonder if
1: like this, like that trajectory, if that's tied to age or if that's tied to like your journey along with the path as a deer hunter, like, is there something to be said like this, like Stress and comparison, and all that is yet just because we were younger and now we're aging out of that. Or is it actually like we've come into our own as hunters and we, for a long time, we are still just there was so much to figure out, there was so much to really get our heads around. And now, like, we both are confident in our experience and what we know and how to do it. And now it's yeah. it's 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 different now. It's like, OK, we know what to do. And right. if, it, if it doesn't work out, it's not because we're idiots. It's because it didn't happen today. But we, you know, we're confident in the path. And yeah. and I wonder if that's part of like this shift in our mindsets in recent years.
2: Um, I don't know. Yeah. I And and so I, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. All right. So let's see here. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So I'm on a seven year run in in Iowa, right? And so as far as my skills are concerned, I'm confident. I'm not shaky. Like, you know, like there's a difference probably between a rookie going to the Super Bowl and Tom Brady going to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not trying to sit here and compare myself to Tom Brady I thought that's what way. you were doing there. <laughs> no, no, no. But I've been around the block now a couple times, and I know that I I know how this thing works, right? If if they don't show up, there's no reason to get stressed about it. You have to do your job and do what has worked in the past, and you can do that without getting stressed or worked up about it. Just do what you do what you do. Just just put the plan into process or into you know, into go mode and it just it just kind of happens at that point. And when it happens, then I feel like it's more pure and it's uh it's less like reading a textbook and more like catching the ultimate wave, like, uh, like Bodie from Point Break. Point, God, that's great. You had to somehow get a Point Break <laughs> reference in. <here. laughs> Hell yeah. I don't know, man. It's just, um, it's just this, this thing that I love to do. You know what I mean? Like you, it's, it's not, it's not frustrating, like running. It's like walking. It's, as, like, it's not as, I don't know how to put it without sounding kind of arrogant, but I feel like I've figured certain things out, especially in Iowa, right? But you remove me from what I feel very comfortable and confident in, on the farms that I hunt and the terrain in Iowa. And now I'm a different hunter, right? Because of the different scenarios right. and, and the different environments and things like that. So it, it, I'm two different people in, in and out of certain worlds. Yeah. So in Iowa, man, I'm confident. Like I can go into, I, I I could go into an area and I can say, well, of all the other places I've hunt, this, this is a good, this place looks like big buck would live here. And I would either throw a trail camera in there or I would hunt it a couple of times. And I, I I bet you that I'm going to, I'm going to find the deer that live in this area. If I give it enough time, a good deer in whatever area I'm hunting and you take me out of that. Yeah, it's different. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I uh I get that. I 100% get yeah. that. And I will say yeah. kind of p- rewinding the tape a little bit and just yeah. jumping back into kind of how I have said, you know, like here in my local stuff, I'm not yeah. as worried about, you know, specific deer or anything. I still do get excited though to possibly see one of these deer you know again like oh yeah for a lot for a few years there as you know very well i was like obsessed with specific deer right and it was like Mm -hmm. i gotta kill this one deer and it was like that deer or bust um and and now i i feel like I'm still excited for a couple deer to show up and hopefully get a crack at them, but I'm also like, I've just kind of come to the terms of the fact, back to what we've been talking about the whole time, like, nobody cares if I kill this deer or not, like, nobody really cares, why should I care that much, I mean, this is not life or death, this is just, we're just out there chasing, as our buddy Tony likes to say, rabbits with antlers, uh, with a stick and string, And there's no reason to do it except to have fun and to put meat in the freezer. So why am I out there freaking out about whether or not someone's going to kill my buck, quote unquote, or if it's going to happen? Like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hope to see one of these deer and I'm going to, you know, keep tabs on them as best as I can. And I'll study the patterns and I'll do the thing because it's fun. But if it just doesn't happen, I'm just I'm just sick of
2: getting all frustrated about it. So. Yeah, in in that world, there's only one person.
1: That's it's me. Yeah,
2: exactly. it's you. You know, you're you you are in your world. I'm not in your world, yep. right? And, and so that's that's where I really think a lot of people get frustrated in is because they're not they're they're there's too much into the equation. They're putting too much into the equation where the equation is quite simple if you can figure it out. And once you figure it out, you're like, oh man, this is this is awesome. Yep. And, and and it's, it's okay to let people into your world sometimes, but when it comes to defining success and actually having success, you're, you're in control of that. Nobody else is. Yeah.
1: So one last thing I got to, I got to drop in here um, right, before bud. we wrap it up, which is just uh, the hopes I have for a few deer in my Michigan spots. Cause most of my out of state stuff. Cause all I saw, the, I
2: saw the velvet. Yeah. The, the velvet video you posted, I mean, what do you think about that one? Is that a is that compare him to some of the deer that you've gotten in the past off that property.
1: So this is in that general area. Um yeah. so this is down in my local. I've got some different Michigan spots and in that area I've killed some, you know, some pretty good deer, you know, bucks uh 4 to 6 years old and I, I killed my biggest Michigan buck which is like 165 inch 10 pointer. And then I've got a couple others that are like 130, 140. Um, so I got eyes the other day on a buck that's probably middle of the pack on that one. He's the kind of deer that really, if you gave him another year, you know, he'd be like a mega giant. Um, but there's no way I'm passing like 145 inch to 150 inch 13 pointer or something. So, so yeah, I got eyes on a really nice buck. Um, he's got splits off both of his brow tines and both of his g2s so like one g2 is a really deep split and then the other g2 is more of like a hook coming off of it and okay. then on his brow tines there's like a, a small split coming off both brow tines and actually like a little tiny like sticker dropper almost coming off the main beam and otherwise he's a mainframe eight so he's an eight with all that stuff um so a really really cool deer we don't get like non-typicals like that at least in the areas i hunt very often so that's a very uncommon set of characteristics so that's just exciting to see a deer like that um i actually got footage of him i saw him again when i was out glassing last night too um i there's a possibility he's a buck that i know i never saw this buck last year but i got a lot of pictures of him he had split brow times last year and again like i said we don't get those kinds of deer um so it's the only split brow time buck i've had on camera and i don't know Years, three, four years, and now this buck comes back has splits, but more junk. Uh, It's not a perfect match. Like you know, sometimes with bucks you can see like it's obvious for sure. Like they just got bigger, but all the same characteristics. This buck is like ish, like kinda. So I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But super cool buck. Um, I did see another buck for sure that is a deer from last year. I found this buck's shed two years ago. He was a wide eight pointer. Last year he popped a ninth point, so he was a nine pointer as a three year old. Last year saw him like everywhere, it was passing him, and this year he's back. He's a ten pointer now, but otherwise looks exactly the same, and so he'll be a four year old this year and, and a deer I've seen a lot and super cool. So he'd be one I'd take a crack at and would be excited about. Uh, so he's the wide nine, and then the the number one buck. I have yet to see him, but I know he made it through the season. Um, He's a deer I was calling junior because two years ago, two or three years ago, whenever it was that I was still hunting Tran, um, this buck looked like him, but like a junior version of him, like a miniature version of him. And like every time I'd see him coming through the woods, I'd be like, oh shit, it's Tran. And then I realized it was not, it was the little guy. Um, So I passed him a bunch that year. And then last year, he was a deer I would have shot as a four-year-old last year. And he was just a big, really big eight-pointer um, and never got a crack at him, made it through. I don't know if he's still around this year, but he was around as of like late January or February. So knock on wood, hopefully he'll be around this year. And my guess is that he'll just be a really big eight again and a five-year-old. So he would be a deer I'd be I'd be stoked to see as well. So So there's junior, there's that non-typical dude. There's the wide nine. And then there was another just like solid eight pointer last year. I saw around quite a bit in one of these areas. And, um, and I'd passed on him as well. And I was like, kind of iffy, like, God, he might be, might be a four-year-old. I ah, but probably a three-year-old. And so I never really tried to get after him, but I thought about it. And so if he's around this year, he would be a definite shooter too. So yeah. So there's a handful of good Michigan deer running around and you never know what might show up there's always the chance for a surprise, but um, I do love still having some places I hunt year after year where you do get to know some of these deer year after year because that going back to the fun, like it is fun to see these deer and to see how they change and to to try to look back at what did they do on camera last year and what did I see last year will they will they do that thing again um, I love like the public land new hunting kind of places, but there's something to be said about having some history
2: like that is a fun yeah. puzzle to work through too so I'm excited yeah. about that. I definitely want to be able to do that someday, right? To, to own the property or to, I don't know, man, like be in control of something. Cause I've, I've never had that. I've never had a a property where I could go in and, you know, be in control where it's just me or my family hunting, right? Cause if if I always share it with someone else, they go and do their things. There's never really any conversations about what to shoot or not to shoot. Um, And thus the, the days for me, Of really trying to uh, identify and follow along with a single deer are almost all but over until I, you know, get, get that opportunity someday, hopefully.
1: Why don't you go buy that farm? Those uh, landowners, those kids are selling. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Dude, Dude, I I live in the most expensive County in Iowa, unfortunately. (laughs) And uh, unless I had a million dollars, just kind of sitting in my back pocket, uh, it's not going to happen.
1: All right, folks, here's what we got to do. We all got to start. <laughs> we all got to go and start buying
2: Boo-hoo, Dan Johnson. Let's get him some uh, uh,
1: uh, Iowa farm. No, we're gonna, we're all going to go and like put your podcast on repeat so that your numbers skyrocket to like 10 oh, million yeah. downloads an episode. And then you can charge a million dollars for your sponsors next year and buy the farm and then invite right. me to hunt the next year I draw.
2: Right. There we go. Hey, all right. Hey, if that I tell you what, if that works Oh, you know, let's, let's give it a try. <laughs>
1: All right. All right, man. This is, uh, I think this is a good place to wrap it up and, and get to part two of my podcast today, but thank you. This is, uh, this is too, this is, this is too long and coming again. And yeah, I think we got to try to figure out a way I, schedules are tough these days with both of what we got going on, but if we can somehow figure out a way to do like a check-in like this. I don't know, like once a month or something through the hunting yep. season. It's just so much fun to get to talk about what's going on in our lives and the hunting season and like follow along. Like I miss that. If if we can swing yep. it,
2: we should try to do that this year. Absolutely. And let me say good luck to you, Mark, man. I hope you slay and good luck to everybody who's listening, man. I, I, I love when I see success from other people, man, whether it's someone like Mark or, you know, regular Joe who, uh, you know, put in, 60 hours on the factory line and and got out and then got it done so i i enjoy all that yeah so true agree all right thanks buddy
0: pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits not a first aid kit, all right? Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at UrgentCareKit.com slash eater and use promo code eater. That's promo code eater at UrgentCareKit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. With a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bullseying. If I was going to cook, roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game, get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients, and as often as the case, those guys were on to something. ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
1: All right, back with me on the show for your third appearance, I think, Eddie. We've got Eddie Claypool. Welcome back, Eddie.
4: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: These uh, these are always some of my favorite chats. So uh, I appreciate coming on every every time. I start thinking about you know wanting to chat in the weeds on something DIY bow hunting. My buddy Tony Peterson always reminds me. You got to call Eddie. You got to call Eddie. And <laughs> when we were when we were talking about doing this series you popped into my mind before Tony suggested it. So I got ahead of him on this one. I said, we got to talk to Eddie. So uh, I'm glad All you were right. able to make it happen. Thank you for doing this.
4: Well, well I appreciate it. If you want to get some redneck you know, info, you're, you got the right guy. <laughs>
1: well, that's what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, with the season about to kick off, I know you're hitting the road here soon, and, and me too. We're, we're doing this little mini-series, Eddie, where I'm calling it the What Would You Do format. In which, you know, we we basically, I'm going to run you through a bunch of hypothetical hunting scenarios, going to take you through some doozies. It's going to be a little bit of a gauntlet here and there. And uh, I just want to hear how you would handle it, how you would deal with this challenge or this situation. What would you be thinking about? What's the kind of, what are the other things you'd want to know to better make a decision? Um, You know, I think we can just have an interesting conversation about these different possible scenarios and uh and learn a little <laughs> bit about how Eddie Claypool makes it happen in the woods. So, are you game to go down this path?
4: Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how what comes out of my mouth too. I'll probably be learning something about myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. Well, that sounds good to me then, Eddie. So, I think uh in the interest of just scratching our white tail itch as quickly as possible, how about we just jump right into the first scenario? And Okay. In this one, Eddie, I want to imagine that you have got to go back to your public land roots. Now I know that recently you you picked up you bought a piece of property yourself, but let's let's imagine that you couldn't hunt it this year. For whatever reason, you you can't hunt your home for your home farm. So you gotta hunt public land. And you unfortunately realize this in August. It's late. And you're like, oh man, I gotta hunt some new public land. You only are gonna have One weekend in August to prepare for this brand new adventure. I'm going to give you one weekend. So you got two days. How would you spend your only two days of public land whitetail prep? If that was the situation you were in, what would you do over the course of those, you know, 48 hours to maximize your preparations and scouting to hunt this public piece? Now I got to point One other thing, this Uh would be a new piece of public land you're hunting. This can't be somewhere you've been before. so okay, good. That's the situation. What would you do, Eddie?
4: Got you. Well, knowing what I got to get done, you know, in the season and only having those two days to on ground, I'm going to spend a lot more time outside of those two days on maps and Google Earth and stuff. You know, looking at it from aerial, and and I'm I'm going to the during those two days, the main thing I'm going to do is drive the roads, learn all the access points, and you know, how to get around in the place and get a feel for the lay of the land and, you know, what's there in the way of the habitat. But mainly, nowadays, I'm going to use technology to scout that. I'm going to get above it and look down on it, and I'm going to want to know where the roads are, where the main access or any access points are. I'm going to mark them all, and then I'm going to look for the most... Inaccessible spots on that public land. There's going to be some spots somewhere that have some serious problems, obstacles about getting a warm body to them. And those are the few that I'm going to mark. And then I'm going to, you know, take it to the next level that any normal whitetail guy would do is figure out what winds I'm going to need to hunt them, how I'm going to get to them. If that means, you know, if I've got to get watercraft involved, something. Usually, there's, you know, um, water, you know, creeks, rivers, lakes, something. And there's usually spots along them that are like a long way from a road. And so water access is an important thing I've used over the years, uh, either chest waders to wade, you know, creeks that <clears throat> the average guy's not going to try to even think about getting across or putting in a little small canoe or something. But the two days I'm going to be there in the summer, I'm not really big on putting myself out in that habitat and walking around in it. I don't know what to gain then, except a lot of ticks and chiggers and maybe a snake bite. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to do my scouting from above at home a lot outside those two days. And then the two days I'm going to go do all the work to learn all I can learn about the road and water access points. And um, look at the land in comparison to what it looks like from above. In other words, compare the fields, see what's being farmed this year versus, you know, an open field on Google Earth. The the imagery could be a year old, you know, and it might be a fallow field this year that's grown up in weeds or something. You know, I'm going to learn what I can from the roads. But mainly the two days is not going to be me out there beating my brains out through that habitat looking for anything deer-wise. Um, I just don't put a lot of stock in needing to do that in August. I would like to have had those two days back the previous um, January or February, you know, mm-hmm. where, I, where I could have got in there when everybody's out. The woods are open and the sign's still there. But if I've just got two days in August, uh, it's going to be learning where I'm going to mount my attack from figuring out where everybody else is probably going to mainly be and what they're going to be doing and then trying to get around, you know, to where they're not, none of them going to be getting to.
1: Mm -hmm. And then your plan would be once the season kicks off, that's when you'll really get boots on the ground in the habitat and setting stands and and figuring it out as you go in season. Is that right?
4: Exactly. And then really I'm kind of a, you know, I I know I'm kind of narrow in my scope on whitetail, I've never really been an excellent early season whitetail hunter. Um, I'm not real good at figuring out how to kill those big mature bucks in early October. All of them I've ever dealt with. That is one of the least likely times you're going to kill them. Now I do know the hunting community's figured out how to short circuit that now by, you know, the grow your own, feed your own, um, you know, cornering them and stuff. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not into that. I'm not. If you want to hunt them straight up fair chase, I'm not going to really plan on killing my buck in early October. I I probably won't plan on really hunting them seriously till the third week of October, uh, earliest. Uh, I'm a rut hunter. That's mainly what I've always just honed in on was catching bucks when they're out prowling. And uh, so I'm going to go in there in early October, and soon as you know the temperatures are conducive and I can get around. And I'm going to go ahead and put my, uh, you know, feet on the ground and learn. A lot of things I learned then are, you know, old sign like signpost rubs areas where you see, you know, where the big bucks have rubbed their horns in past years. But I'm not really planning. I'm looking more for pinch points. If you want to get technical, I'm looking at the lay of the land and the, the way the vegetation and it all comes together. And the and the pinch points can be very subtle things that, you know, maybe uh, early on hunter may not really recognize that as a pinch point just because of the certain changes in vegetation. Um, you got to kind of get some you know experience under your belt to figure out how those bucks like to move through different types of habitat. Just an edge between a you know a real grown-up field and an open woodlot can be a pinch point if 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 you know you know if it's if it's in the right scenario, so it doesn't have to be that classical hourglass pinch point I'm looking for, like between two big blocks of timber with there a you little, you know, narrow tree line in between them. But um, I'm going to go in there in early October, and I'm going to I'm going to get a real good feel for where a few of these points that I think these rutting bucks are going to walk through when they're going from uh, point A to point B. And and that's a lot of what I do on the aerial scouting. You can you can figure where the bigger blocks of cover are at in, in relation to the food. And you can kind of put a paint by numbers together and figure out, well, you know, a lot of the feedings going on here, a lot of the beddings going on over here. So all I got to figure out is how are they getting between those two points and get right in the middle there in a a bit of a pinch point and and hunt during the rut. And I know that may not be the number one best way to do it, but it's what I've done. And you got to dance with the one that brought you. So (laughs) um, I've just always done that and I, because of the time that I usually put in and the patience I usually put in I, I have you know feathered my nest with a lot of good bucks during that um, late October to late November period you know
1: Yeah. so question for you Eddie I know that you've been hunting public land whitetails for a long time and right. you saw what things were like you know 20 plus years ago and you've also seen what public lands like <clears throat> excuse me in the last couple of years. And yeah. I know that recently that you've had some frustrations with, you know, all the right. hunters and the pressure and how that's changed things. I'm curious, have you yeah. had to, have you had to seek out some of those more subtle pinch points more recently in these newer days, because the obvious pinch points are becoming, you know, a, a spot that everybody goes to now is that have those subtle spots become more important now in recent Years because of the fact that public land hunting's gained popularity and those obvious pinch points are becoming obviously popular.
4: Oh, absolutely! That's just a no brainer right there. Because I mean, twenty years ago when I was hunting public land hardcore, I I didn't even hardly it didn't seem like public land because I I just didn't have a lot of problems with people. Uh, You know, I don't know. I, to me, see, I've been at this like forty plus years now, and I've seen a pretty broad spectrum of what the hunting industry's been through and i've watched the game departments evolve i've watched the hunting industry evolve and i've seen and i know that sometimes i'm called a negative nancy but i'm not going to lie to you over the you know the past 40 and especially the past 20 years i haven't seen a whole lot of positives and um the hunting world um populations of the animals, the mature animals, the access to the hunting. Um, a lot of things have gone backwards. Um, and I don't mean to be negative, but I'm just telling you what I have seen. And yeah, nowadays, if you go try to hit the most obvious pinch points, you might as well just go play golf because Mm -hmm. there's going to be a guy or two or three that's already sitting there. And, uh, that i don't deal with i i i have i started my hunting career out west in the late 70s and i was a wilderness fanatic and i am just not a in the i i don't like dealing with people i'm my only child and i i'm not socially good and i i i don't like dealing with people and god forgive me for it but i'm going to go to probably the most worthless sort of spot if necessary to get away from people but then again that's the greatest thing you can do on public land because any any buck worth his weight in gold is going to hide out where people ain't tromping him up and stomping him up twice a day. He's going to figure out where in his home that he can hide out and have some security. And, of course, I figure that same thing out because that's where the, you know, you've got to figure out where the people aren't getting to. There's going to be some nooks and crannies on all public land that for some reason, and it can be a multitude of reasons, but there will be some reasons why they're overlooked. And, you know, there might still be a guy or two getting into them once in a while, but but if that old buck doesn't get bumped but once ever so many days versus he's, you know, going through this pinch point and he gets killed the first time he walks through it or shot at or wounded, I mean, he's going to be back there in that thicket, that, you know, eight-foot-tall Johnson grass thicket that's 10 acres that nobody in their right mind walks through it because I mean, it's eight foot tall Johnson, grass, <laughs> yeah. right? Miserable. You know? And so, you know, I mean, those bucks, unless they just totally light out and go for a no, new home range, they're going to have to be in those areas where the people aren't. And so that's what I do in the last 20 years. Gosh almighty. Ever since the advent of the video era, of the hunting world. See, I'm, I'm so far before the advent of video hunting, you know what I mean? TV Mm -hmm. and I mean, back in them days, it was just utopia. It was just too good to be true living through that era and then having to live through this one is just enough to make you want to shoot yourself because (laughs) you, you know, the difference between the way it used to be and the way it is. And it, it, it haunts you and uh, sometimes i think ignorance would be bliss in other words maybe i just started bow hunting 20 years ago and didn't even know the way it used to be so yeah on public land nowadays don't don't go here's another thing elk too out west i've watched what's happened to the elk thing if you go to any of your classical elk habitat the stuff that they want to live in and that they do live in all year, except hunting season, if you go to that anymore on public land and in an across the counter type hunt, you're you're just you're out of your mind. you got to look for the hell holes and just go right straight to them because after the first they season or two out west, all them milk pile off in them canyons and and live in them blow down cliffy areas where nobody goes, and it's the same way with our public land whitetails. you just got to get. Don't park at the normal trailheads. Don't walk the normal, you know, routes in and get in the normal pinch points. Get your topo out, or not topo anymore. I, that, see that that dates me right there. <laughs> but get your aerials, or get on Google Earth, and and pick out the most inaccessible spots on public land and the thickest, nastiest ones. I mean, I've got some spots on public land that I have worked on two or three winters in a row trying to get them where I felt like I could shoot a deer if it come by, you know, um, uh, I'm talking stuff that's so thick that you, I often don't see a deer until it's within 20 yards of me, you know, and, uh, that's where they spend their days and, uh, you know, you get back in there and they get to chase them does around in that during the day. And it can be quite a little freak show going on around you in them, in them hell holes on oh, public yeah. land sometimes but anyway, it's, it's just a matter of common sense to me. I don't know if, if I call it that because I've been doing it for 40 plus years, but if, if it's a new guy beginner, don't go with traditional thoughts. Don't go with traditional advice, get outside the box and, and just dive in and you're going to figure it out. Um, you know, don't go fish fighting with everybody over the, the the traditional pinch points. Get away from them. Let them have them. Those big old bucks won't walk through them probably in the daylight anyway. Um, get back in there where they're just staging at dark, you know, in those thickets. and get away from the traditional good spots and, and, and take your chances on that and you'll be better off. So, uh,
1: so then kind of jumping off that, then I've got a, another scenario because uh-huh. I, I want to. I want to pitch or I want to pivot to a different situation. Let's imagine that you, uh, instead of being the hunter that you are, and instead of you know having the experience that you have, let's imagine that instead you are a newer hunter. Well, okay. how should I frame this? Basically, yep. you're someone who is hunting not for a trophy buck. You're not trying to hunt a mature uh, buck. You're just trying to get any you. buck. It's a meat crisis. Uh, you need food. Right. Your family's desperately hungry. And let's say you've got a day job, so you don't have a lot of time either. So it's like a, okay. you're a weekend warrior who's just trying to get a deer. and you're
4: just a bow hunter, right?
1: Yeah, just yeah, a bow hunter. Got, and you're hunting public yeah. land. So how would your advice right. change on public land, right. given that now I'm talking, I need any deer. I'm trying to kill it on the weekends. I just got to eat. How would you approach things in that case? Is it the exact same advice you just gave? Or something different?
4: No, no, not at all. Not really. I mean, I wouldn't worry about doing what I just said. That's kind of a trophy buck scenario. I've been locked in on antlers for I don't know how long. I, even back when I didn't know how to get them, I was infatuated with them. And I, But um, if you're just wanting to hunt to get a deer and for fun, you can take a lot of the pressure off and a lot of the work. Now, you're going to have some people problems. Get ready for that and get mentally psyched up. But, you know, that's okay. Don't worry about it just go and have some fun um get in the traditional spots that's fine people will be coming and going here and there some and there but they're going to move the deer they'll run those by you they'll run the small bucks by you just get used to it be happy with it shoot one of them when you can don't get anal about it um like a trophy hunter does you know when that stuff gets all messed up for him he just he's ready to go cork off and tear the guy's I mean, I've been out there sitting, have a guy put a tree stand up 40 yards from me, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, uh. but anyway, I mean, no, just take the traditional advice there on public land. Like for instance, in October, one of the very best ways I used to kill deer. And I'm, we're, when we're talking about just killing deer, you know, of any kind, shape, size, or sex, um, October can be really good for that. Cause, um, it's cooling down a little, the mast crop, the acorn crop is usually falling so what I would do is I would go to the public land, and if it's any kind of traditional Midwestern stuff, it's usually got acorn-producing trees, and or another big one is persimmons. Um, if you're in habitat that has persimmons and or acorns that are falling in October, go and start your scouting, spray down with bug crap, get, get out there, find out where there is some good acorns hitting the ground or persimmon thickets that are starting to drop and set up on them and you know that time of year in early october i don't know you know i don't think you're going to get overrun with people then it seems like the the madhouse begins around the last week of october when everybody from out of state comes and the population of hunters quadruples you know what i mean and uh so get out there early and just hunt some food sources if you can scout like if it's a public land area that they do the sharecropping in, the farming in, get out there in glass in September and spot some uh spots where the deer are coming out into some bean fields or, you know, something like that. But mast trees have been good to me in October. I can walk through a lot of country and look at a lot of oaks and there will be certain ones that everything's just right. And when them acorns, usually the white oaks, are hitting the ground in October, them deer will concentrate on that hardcore And all you got to do immediately, if you see an acorn uh, crop hitting the ground with a lot of, you know, tracks around it and droppings and stuff, and maybe a few of them little early season rubs, just back off downwind to where you want uh, that, set a tree stand real quick and get out of there, you know, and slip back in there, usually for an evening hunt. It's been the best to me. Um, Get in there early, early evening and get set up and let them come in there to feed in the evening and, and, and fill you a tag and have some fun.
1: Yeah great great advice i think there's a lot of newer hunters who get into this and by default have to hunt public land but when they go out there right. seeking out public land information it's it's mostly a bunch of people like you and me who are obsessed with big deer and stuff and then this new hunters right. thinking oh my gosh this sounds like a death march and they're doing this and, yeah. this, and this and this and this and this and i think i think your yep. i think your example is perfect and it's a great reminder that if you're just trying to kill a deer the opportunities are out there and you you don't need to kill yourself to do it. Just a few things have got to go right to get
4: that dough. Yeah. It's just been so long since I thought outside the big antler box that I, I just kind of, you know, I remember in my early days, I hunted public land a lot and I killed, you know, plenty of deer early season. And, you know, I actually did better in October than I did in November then. Um, but yeah, I mean, get out there, have fun, and do your thing and then leave the November to the nuts like us, you know? So, so
1: I know that because of some of like the, just the nonstop bumping into people and all that, I think part of that was what led you to eventually want to buy your own place. Right. And from what I understand, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're entering Uh your third year with that property. Is that right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. This will be my third fall on it. And, uh, you know, getting old is a learning experience and I think I went from you know early age to about 55 it seems like before I realized that you finally do get old (laughs) Um, I, I made a lot of good years through my 40s and 50s hardcore still just going and not feeling any let up but in the past about five to eight years you know age is catching up with me and and I'm going through such a time, of metamorphosis of change and, and mental and physical and emotional that I don't hardly know myself anymore. And you were correct in the fact that part, definitely part of the reason why I, I invested my life savings in a piece of ground was to kind of get away from the maddening crowd of the uh, public land. Though I also, because of that, that's been my, my mantra is the public land. It's really almost prostitutional to go to what I'm doing because you're turning your back on your roots. You're <laughs> turning your back on everything that really feathered your nest and made you feel like a man and taught you everything because there's nothing any harder than consistently killing big bucks off public land with a bow. I mean, that's right up there high at the top of the challenge pile. And now, but what I found out recently was more than the fact that I wanted to get away from public land. That was a little bit of it. But the main thing I have found out is that with age, my priorities have changed. They, I mean, it's been like pulling teeth, because I've been sli- sliding down a slippery slope, clawing all the way to stay at where I've been, and I haven't got it done. I've just slowly slid down the slope, and now... I'm a new creation, and basically what I want now, what I want now out of my bow hunting time doesn't really have much to do with those big trophy bucks anymore.
1: So what is it? It doesn't
4: have to, well, it doesn't have to do with having to prove my machoism, too, to everybody by killing them off public land. I mean, you've got to admit, through the most of your life, there is some, and this is a taboo subject with guys, we don't like to talk about our egos and we don't like to admit we got them but we do we love to c- accomplish something it's the challenge it's put in the male you know in the male being he yeah. wants to be a good you know and so but when you get older you you just that fades away i have gotten to where i could literally care less about what anybody else knows that i do thinks i do what i do i am out there now the reason i got this land I call it my old man place. It's the place that I'm going (laughs) to just take my time and enjoy. I I, I get so much fun out of going and pulling trail camera cards and looking at the deer and just watching them um, throughout the year, watching their whole year, how they, you know, everything changes. Um, Now I, I don't have to work. I used to have to work, you know, solid straight nine months, six, seven days a week to get off in the fall and hunt, you know now i don't i get to watch them all year i watch them shed antlers. i watch them start growing new ones Uh, i see them come and go i'm learning so much about deer right now that i didn't know outside of the three months i used to spend on them you know and uh i just have a ball out on that property it's so peaceful i'm out in the middle of nowhere that of course that fits me you know i don't want to be around i can't hear a car all day long i don't see or hear a human thing all day long out on that place and uh it's peace and quiet and uh, enjoyment, I guess. That's what you, you mature into, I think. After 40 years of the pad my own ego and piling a pile of antlers up that would fit in a dump truck, I'm ready just to just take it. I haven't even shot, I've not shot a, mature, a good big buck off my place the first two years I hunted it. I just, I didn't shoot one.
1: So let me ask you this then, Eddie. Back to like uh, kind of some scenarios here. I know Uh that you've you've hunted two years there now. I also understand that you've started doing some habitat work and some of that kind of stuff too. If you could rewind the clock back to the off season or like just before your first season hunting this place for the first time. You could rewind the clock then and change one thing. That could either be change one of the habitat projects you did or change a a hunting strategy you ended up trying or change a stand location or anything. If you could go back two years and change one thing, what would that be and
3: why?
4: Well, boy, that's a good one. I almost pulled a blank on that one. I've made some mistakes, nothing big. I'm learning as I go. I paint my numbers. I haven't took a bunch of courses or had any big shots come in and teach me habitat management. I'm one of these old cusses that wants to do everything on his own, make his own mistakes and learn. And I haven't done everything right, but I've, I've got enough common sense. I'm probably pretty good biologist. You know what I mean? After my life outdoors, I, I could qualify as a biologist, except I can't spell the scientific names, but, uh, Anyway, I wouldn't change a lot of anything that I've done. I, uh, I had cattle in the place the first year, and that's probably the biggest thing I would change. I am turning my place into a, just basically, it's going to be a hole in the ground that's going to be a wildlife mecca. I'm going to let it go natural. It's had cattle on it since the beginning of time, and it's been burned off. All 320 acres got burned off, slick off, every year for for as long back as you can see. I stopped the cattle this year. I stopped the burning this year. I'm going to, you know, do selective burning in the future. But, you know, I wouldn't change a lot in the habitat except let it go natural a year quicker because not having the cattle in there is making a big difference in my prairie. My grasslands are growing up and the, the prairie itself, the blue stem is already about four feet tall this year when everybody around me is at two feet because the cows keep it eight. And it's going to make a lot of difference in the number of deer I have. They're going to bed in my prairie now. And, um, I, I I don't care if I kill a deer on that place for the rest of my life. I almost don't want to kill one because I know I'm going to walk up to it and look at it and go, wow, there's another dead deer. Um, if it's a 180-inch typical, I'm still not going to be thrilled about killing it. Um, I've gotten to where I'm more into the providing them with the place, and I get a whiz off of looking at them on the camera, but I am not going to get a whiz out of killing them. Does that make sense?
1: I, I, I mean, it sounds a little bit crazy, but also crazy in like a way I, may, I understand it. You know what I mean, Eddie? I, I, I can see where you're at, uh-huh. and I can also... Yeah, I've I too, on a different scale, but I too have gotten to know local deer, and and it is it, it's almost sad when you do walk up on a deer that you watched for three years, and you're never going to get right. to chase him again.
4: No, he's gone for good, and uh, I know that's fine. We're we're hunting a renewable resource, and I get it. Um, I don't plan on probably ever not killing. Um, I eat it and I utilize it, but I I also have gotten so far from. I was a fetish on antlers. I mean, I would walk naked backwards uh, to <laughs> across the United States to kill a 140-inch deer <laughs> at one point. And I'm like, you know, that's insane. I, I worshipped it to the point it was an idol to me. I literally sacrificed my existence for it. And uh, I guess I've kind of come full circle now, and I'm ready to give something back. I want to let them have a quiet place to live, good food, good habitat. Watch them come and go, watch them do their lifestyle. And then, you know, I mean I've got a buck on there finally this year, finally, that's a pretty pretty exceptional animal uh for the area, for sure. And I've been thinking about it. What am I gonna do if that thing comes walking right by me here in the fall? Am I gonna kill that? And here's the deal. He's a world class genetic deer. He's a probably a four and a half year old is what he appears to probably be. And given two more years this buck will probably would probably eclipse 200 inches. And I, I don't care about that. But what I do care about is having a deer like that on my property. It gives me an extreme sense of satisfaction to know that I'm providing him with a place to live in security. And of course, he ain't totally secure because he don't just stay on me all the time. You know, he, he, he may get killed by one of my neighbors. You know what I mean? But uh, if I had my brother's, I wouldn't even pull a string on that deer. I'd let him go two more years just so I could say one day before I croaked, I had a 200 inch plus deer on my property one time, you know, and, uh, then I'd be happy. You could put me in my pine box.
1: <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Now okay. I, I
4: don't have to put them on my wall. I really don't. I, I mean, I don't, I, I used to would have I would have done anything to have that deer. Well, I've spent 40 years and I've I've not killed a 200 inch deer. And, uh, now though, I can say with all honesty, and I do not expect you to understand it. I don't expect anybody under about 60 to understand it, but there's somebody out there going to be listening to this. That's going to understand this. It finally becomes not about the killing, but more about the doing.
1: Mm -hmm. I do. I do get that. 100% let's let's imagine then let's imagine you've got a friend of yours who you have decided Uh to let hunt your home farm with you i don't know if that's something that you plan to do or have done but let's just imagine i've
4: actually actually finally started thinking about that because i mean i'm not gonna lie to you most of my white tail hunting life i've been a pretty selfish guy i just tended to my own needs and didn't you know i wasn't a real sharing person i just I I mean, you know how that works. You can't share everything or you ain't going to have nothing. Does that make
3: sense? Oh, yeah.
4: I mean, I kind of did my own thing and kept it quiet. And when I first got this place, I was still a little bit in that rut and I've slowly gotten out of it. I wasn't going to consider letting somebody come in there and kill one of my big, one of, did you hear what I just said? One
3: of my
4: my big big ones. Yeah. yeah, There you go. Okay. So there's a problem right off the bat. But anyway, (laughs) nowadays, Yep, I'm, I'm actually, I've actually woke up in the middle of the night with it on my mind and realized what I was thinking about and just have shaken my head going, wow, you mean you'd bring somebody in there and let them kill one of them big bucks and you, you just not even care that you'd be happy for them. And you know that, I guess that's my new evolution process to get where that's the new challenge to quit being selfish, I guess, right? Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: it does. Easy, Easier said than done, I know, from, per- from my oh, own experience.
4: Oh, I, I mean, if I was in my 30s or 40s, it never entered my mind. It would have just been me, 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 you know, and that's it. Yeah.
0: Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash and use promo code meater. That's promo code Meeater at urgentcarekit.com dot com slash meat eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear, what I like to do, on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying If I was going to cook, roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
1: Well, let's play this out a little bit. Let's say you decide Uh you're going to invite a buddy out there to hunt your home farm. Uh-huh. and right. we'll say that a buck catches your buddy's eye. Not not your future 200-inch, but another really, really nice one. And he says, man, Eddie, right. if you're okay with it, I would love to take a crack at this deer and really try to figure him out. And you say, yeah, absolutely, Tony, go 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 chase him. And right. uh, he, he comes to you, though, and he says, hey, man, I've never really – targeted a big mature buck like this before i've never really been trying to figure him out and he says i know that trail cameras are all the rage how would you recommend how would you go about teaching your buddy or showing your buddy how you would use trail cameras on your home farm to pattern a buck like this like what would your take be on figuring out that deer in a place like what you have there
4: well you know what I'm about to say may not go along with the mainstream very well, and I get it. I do get it. I do know how some of these guys take this big buck killing to an art. I, I've talked to them, and and really figured out, like for instance, they've got some ground that's got these big bucks on them, and they trail camera them all year, uh, usually cellular wise. So they monitor these deer year round. It's almost. I'm not going to lie to you, and I don't. I don't. I don't have a lot of friends in the hunting industry, and I, I don't really care because. I don't, I'm not real politically correct. I just say the way I believe it. I, I don't care if I step on some toes, but the way they do some of this stuff anymore, to me, it's just killing. It's harvesting. There is very little hunting to it, to me, in my book. Um, they monitor this buck all year. They know everything that's going on with them. They they get a setup, and they will not go in there and hunt almost till the day they plan on killing that deer. And there is often... Not always, but in some states, especially Kansas, there's baiting involved in different things, but they will get this down to such a given that I've had one guy from Iowa that's killed so many big ones. I don't even, but anyway, he said, he usually only has to hunt two maximum of three hunts in a year, and he will kill his target buck every year. And I'm like, that don't even sound interesting to me that, that just, yeah. I don't know what would be exciting about that. I, I, I go hunting cause I want to hunt all the time. I want to hunt all I can hunt and I want to goof up and not do things right. And I just want the whole rounded experience. I couldn't give less of a hoot. I had one fall in my whole life that I had to work. I've never worked from September through the end of December in my adult life except one fall now that's quite a statement because how many people would like to live that lifestyle right but uh but in that one fall i only got to get out and hunt three days i was working seven days a week and i i begged from peter to pay paul and took off work a few days and i killed two really good bucks in three days of hunting that year and felt like i had done nothing i was a nervous dang wreck because I didn't get to go hunting but three days a week I was almost sick all year you know what I mean and it wasn't about that I'd killed two good bucks that year in three sets I I saw right then and there that with me it was more about the bow hunting than it was about the killing you know and uh and so nowadays you know I'm like these guys get this down to such an art so if I had a guy that was coming to my place want to know how to kill one of those bucks what would I tell him? I would tell them, don't do none of this baiting. Don't do none of this patterning. Don't do don't. I don't even use trail cameras ever in relation to my hunting. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So, so not to fear where to I hunt, do, but to fear out what's out there.
4: No, that's it. I just like to see the deer, and I, the only thing a trail camera will do for me that even profits me, I think, is if there's a particular, really exceptional specimen. It'll tell me that he's around so that I can then decide if that matters the hoot or not. I'm going to hold out for that deer. But I don't use cameras to pattern nothing. I just use it to observe deer. And what I do is I still hunt the way I always did, even back, you know, I know this may sound weird, but half of my hunting life was spent pre-trail camera. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, trail camera. The first trail cameras I remember coming in that I ever even saw, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to say around 2000. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I ever owned a trail camera to way into the 2000s. Um, so I, I had already cut all of my hunting teeth before any ability to use trail cameras to help you hunt, and uh, no Google Earth, no. Uh, no real aerial photography. I mean, I I come from the generation of where you just went out there and you figured out how to deer hunt on your own, and uh, that's what I'd tell them nowadays. I am not. I'm I'm not going to. I don't know how to tell them to use trail cameras. I don't know how to tell them to use Google Earth on a on a big buck. I mean, I just go like I said earlier, find those pinch points, set them during the rut. And it's probably the dumbest way to try it. But I will tell you this if you put the time in and have the patience and you're in it you're in one of these pass through spots, if there is a big buck within a mile or two of you somewhere, at some point he'll walk right straight through that during November. And you just gotta be willing to figure out if you're willing to put in the time and the sacrifice to set there because I set in some off the wall places that probably ain't never had a bow hunter set in them. I'm talking some ignorant looking places that <laughs> are way out in the middle of nowhere in these fence lines and out in these little finger draws out in the prairie that no human in the right mind. Usually I can't even like find a tree to get in. that makes sense? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and, and go out there and sit all day and I'll sit there 10, 12 hours sometimes and not see a single deer sometimes. But I've learned if I sit there a week, during the right time in november if somewhere within a one mile radius of me is a big buck excuse me big buck there is a very 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 good chance that buck's going to walk through this hilarious because you know i've got a good ability to see these these uh i call them pass through spots big buck travel corridors does that make sense mm-hmm. um and 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 them things they they don't always they're not where the normal deer are those big mature deer don't Hangout out where all the normal deer are hanging out and and they don't walk through the same spots until they get out of their mind once they start breeding in mid to late November then you might catch a a big one doing something normal, but before that, you better be uh out on the fringe of normal uh, well of course I'm talking more like a blue collar diy guy that's hunting public land again I'm not talking like these guys like um for instance, um, you know, some of these guys that have, have got these big spreads in Iowa, uh, the people that are on TV, I mean, they custom grow those deer and know everything about them and they go kill them. You know what I'm saying? But a guy like me, a guy like you, that's doing it, the old fair chase yep. on our own with, with, with nothing, no silver spoons. You just got to get out there, put a lot of time in and you know, if a guy come to my property I'd say, listen, here's what you do. You get out there and you figure out how to kill that deer. I, I, I don't even want to try to tell you because I don't know how to kill it. Get out there and do it on your own. You'll be much more satisfied. And um, I don't care how they do it. I wouldn't put any stipulations on a guy because, I mean, I wouldn't let him come in there and start dumping a big old pile of corn out and setting over it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's a little bit. That's a little bit over the line for me. And see, I hunt up there in Kansas, where baiting is a is a prevalent thing. I've often made the statement uh, the Kansas owners wouldn't know how to kill a deer if they took their corn away from them. Which I, I know that really, right there, is going to really get me in fine standing. But anyway, anyway, um, hey, corn don't assure nothing, but it sure can. Um, it can do some things that it, I call it the golden corral, you know, the, the golden nuggets, um, them poor bucks. Oh my God. I mean, all you got to do is dump a bag of corn out in October and put a camera on it. You'll know, you'll know every buck that you got within half mile in every direction within a day. And I don't know how they find it and how they hone in on it. But, uh, I've went to random places in Kansas, dump a bag of corn out, put a camera on it. And within two days have pictures of every mature deer almost virtually within quite a distance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's everybody's always trying to make the process easier, I guess. And, uh, I think at the end of the day, when you get my age, you finally figure out it ain't about easiness. It's more about, uh, satisfaction of doing it on your own and yeah. either winning or losing.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you about one of these examples you just shared and it ties into one of the scenarios I wanted to throw at you. Um, You mentioned you like to sit these pass-through areas, these kind of off-the-beaten-path pass-through spots. So let's imagine you're sitting in one of those. It's November, hunting the rut. You're sitting in Mm -hmm. one of these great rut spots, these these pinch points that you like that should be Mm -hmm. a a good quality rut travel corridor. Problem is you've hunted all week and nothing's coming through. You've not had one good buck come through. My question for you is, How long will you stick it out in one of those spots before eventually saying, well, it just, it just isn't the spot? Or do you ever find a spot like that and say, come hell or high water, if I sit here seven days, he will eventually come through. I have that much confidence. W- what's your approach and how do you know when you finally have to pull up stakes or not?
4: Well, I think the best way to answer that would be what I know about the area in general and how much experience I have in it. If it's a fairly new place, I'm not going to go down with the ship on a spot like that. If it if it's not getting the job done, if, I I go by feel. I've often said this. I hunt by feel, feel. I don't even know how to explain what feel is, other than the wee small voice in your head. But like I said, a place like that, and things ain't feeling right, things ain't happening. If it's a fairly new place and I don't know what I you know is going on around, I I will I will abandon it. I would say. About three days is about what I'm going to give a spot like that. If I if I'm not getting anything going on, now on the other hand, if it's a time proven place and or I know the habitat around it and the deer that's living in that habitat and I know there's some big ones around, and maybe I have some previous knowledge of this place being you know what I think it is a pass through, then I'm going to sit there. I'm just going to wait because if I know there's some big ones around you know on both sides of me somewhere. And, um, this is where that they're going to walk at some point. I'll give it up to, I'll give it till I, I lose my mind, which I have. I've actually lost my mind and just <laughs> run naked. But I mean, mm. once in a while, once in a while I've got burned, not a lot. And it just depends on how large a your deer you're hunting to. Cause I mean, I've often let 140 to 50 inch bucks walk in those places and, you know, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but, um, I have rarely if ever set those places in November that I couldn't kill a good solid, you know, trophy buck of some size. I, I I've been greedy and not take, you know, 150, 55 inch deer because I was wanting a bigger one and thinking one bigger one would show up. And then there's been times on the flip side where I broke down. Finally, I've sat there long enough. That I'd just be getting sick of the whole thing about to go crazy and here comes a 150 inch deer and I know that there's a bigger one around I know there is and I just would go ahead and harvest the thing and um call it good and and sometimes actually for a season be wondering you know did I make the right decision but um there ain't no pat answer to none of this stuff it's everybody's an individual and they right. got to do what they're comfortable with and uh I've been through the ringer on every scenario possible of learning what what you can, can't, should, shouldn't do. And uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of past it finally. Now I'm out into the clear where I don't put that kind of pressure on myself. I don't have to make myself answer those questions anymore. I go out. I said, as long as I want, I see what I see. I'm happy. And that's pretty much it. I go back to, to the camp and, talk to the wife and pet the dog, you
1: know, it's a good place to be. Well, let me, let me throw another November situation at you. Uh, And this is, this is another thing that I've frequently uh, been confronted with and and bounced back and forth on. So let me, let me paint this picture. Let's say again, it's November and you're kind of looking for a great spot. Like we just described, you're kind of working through a new area and you end up coming across just a dynamite rut spot let's say it's right. it's kind of a pinch point that is also downwind of some bedding habitat. So you've got those two things okay. that, that seem great. The problem is right. that there is no great tree that's just yep. perfectly in range of where those trails converge, where that pinch point converges beneath the bedding area. So there's, there's two options you got here, Eddie. There is one right. tree that is 20 yards from this pinch point and from the convergence of trails, but it's a pencil-thin beanpole tree you're going to stand right. out in it and there is one other you know relatively well-trod down trail on the downwind of that tree as well so there's also this right. risk that you might get winded by some deer as well
4: or yeah, I, yeah. there's
1: there's a second tree and it seems perfect as in it's it's big it's gnarly it's like a branchy oak tree of some kind so you can climb up in there and yep. disappear and there's, there's, right. nothing, there's nothing downwind of it at all because it's right in the edge of a... Let's say it's downwind... Or, or sorry, just on the edge of a pond, let's say. So there's nothing right. that's going to get beneath right. you. The problem is that right. one is going to put you 41 yards from the trail yeah. convergence. So do you take the lousy tree with some stuff downwind of it still, but you'll have a perfect 20-yard shot if they come through in that spot? Or do you take the farther away tree... But it's super safe from a wind perspective, and you'll you'll be very nicely hidden. Which tree would you pick?
4: I have hunted both those trees numerous times, so I can relate to this. I had a spot in Illinois one time that presented me with the first scenario: the little spindly tree right where you wanted it. Right. Mm-hmm. I tried it a few times. I got nailed twice, and I was at the point of I knew I had to quit it or something, and. I actually bought a top and bottom of gray sweatsuit, went, got some rich dye, put black lines through it, made my own self a homemade set of tree-lined camo. I was the color of the sky except had the dark limbs through me, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So I could get up in that and try to not stand out, in other words. And I'll be doggone the very first time I got in it like that 160 inch deer come through there did not see me which the two previous sets I'd had big bucks come in I'd set the thing three times the first two times I had big bucks come in and nail me in the tree and run off all of the bucks were different bucks um so I guess I I don't know if I educated the first two too bad or if I was just lucky that a third one that hadn't been there come through the third time but he didn't see me and I killed him Then I had another spot that had that same scenario, did not think I wanted to go that route, so I got back off to the side, off away from the action, because I could get in that tree without figuring I was bumping deer getting there. I could get out without bumping deer going out. I had a good, safe wind. I felt comfortable over there, but I was not right where I needed or wanted to be, and I ended up, in the long run, killing more deer out of that scenario and setting it way more and feeling way more comfortable sitting there, because I called a number of deer over to me. You know what I mean with grunt call and stuff, and uh, so I usually would opt for the um, the the better. Um, in other words, are you going for a one shot deal? If you're going for a one shot deal, plant your rear end in that little scrawny tree, sit there all day, run through a forum of off, and hopefully get one shot right. Um, if you want to continue to hunt that spot repetitively, get in the safe tree and you can, you can hunt it repetitively and not run all your deer off. Probably not. They're not going to wind you. They're not going to see you, you know? And so I guess it's what your goal is that day. If you want to go in there and go for broke, get in there in that little spindly tree, stand up. I'd stand up and I'd be real calm and not be moving all day long and maybe have my bow in my, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, And to where it's a one-shot deal, because you're going to do some damage, you're going to have some come downwind of you that day and snort and run off. You may have a buck shoot in there on you before you can get ready, and you may not. But, I mean, if you're going for a one-shot deal, get right in the middle of them and go for broke. If if you want to hunt there repetitively, take that other tree all day long and uh, come back and hunt it numerous days under right conditions. Don't educate your deer. And if a buck comes through there, that's prowling real hard in the rut, nine chances out of 10, you can hit him with a grunt and he'll, he's liable to, especially maybe if you stick a decoy out behind you, you know, or something, you know, and, uh, maybe he'll come right over to you and let you kill him. So, uh, I think that's just a matter of your, I've hunted both those scenarios. And, um, the one that seemed to be best for me was staying out of the middle of the hub, staying off to the side of the hub. And, um, hunting longer and seeing more deer. And if a few get through there, I know it eats you alive to have a good buck come through there. So you don't get your bow shot at them, but Hey, you're better to do that than to have one run right in there, look at you in the tree or come downwind of you on the one trail and smell you. Right. You know? And so, um, yeah, I definitely. think everybody, everybody should just do what they feel they want to do that day. If it's a one shot hunt jump in the middle of them and go to swinging. And uh, if you're wanting to hunt that spot a lot during the rut, you better get off to the side, make sure your entry and exit safe and your wind safe and uh, you're covered up to where they don't see you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've learned, I've been in the same scenario and been burned a few times too, but, uh, but sometimes yep. it also pays off. You just, you just never know. So, so here's one last, yeah. here's one last quick scenario for you, Eddie. Let's, Let's play out this last example a little bit further. Let's say you you pick one of those trees. Let's say you, you went for broke with the closer one, let's hypothetically say, right. and you're right. sitting there and you're on public land and that 200-inch buck that you have not yep. been able to get before in all your years hunting public land and chasing these big deer, that 200 buck yep. is coming in. He's walking right down yep. this trail. He's going to cross in front of you at that pinch point. Right. Tell me, Eddie, what do you do in this situation in the next 30 seconds or 60 seconds as he approaches? What are you doing to ready yourself, to calm yourself? What are you saying inside your head to get yourself mentally prepared for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity?
4: The, the first thing when you said that is the absolute biggest thing is I'm never taking my eyes off that deer. Period. I've got to be subconsciously prepared to, to pull this maneuver off, whatever that is. Get up out of the seat, get the bow, get the bu- I gotta be able to do that subconsciously. So you you better be pretty well trained. But I am never taking my eyes off that deer. I am not moving I'm not looking him in the eye. I'm gonna be watching him like a hawk to see what I can get away with and what I cannot get away with do not be trying to do something on automatic pilot because, I mean, if he's walking towards you, you know, he's, you've got to just get away with what you can in the next 30 seconds. You've got to pray to God that you're going to be able to get yourself up and get your bow drawn without him seeing that. And the only way you're going to hope to pull that off is watch his eyes, watch his head. If he turns his head and or if he stops for a second and looks back over his shoulder, you better be getting something done. Do not be doing it when you're, you know, you're going to have that little guy in your head saying, oh, my God, this thing is looking, you know, he's looking right toward me as he's coming. And, you know, I've actually had to literally, I've actually had to let him walk past me before I ever even started moving. I've got caught with my pants down and watched him come in knowing that if I tried to get up, I'm going to blow this, and I've had to let him walk under me at five yards, and start to walk away, before I ever started even getting up out of my seat, now you hope to not be in that position, you'd like to think, you've all- if you could have just already been standing when he started coming in, you're way ahead of the game, you know what I mean, But uh, but I'm just going to watch that deer like a hawk, to see what I can do, and what I can't, and I'm just, if necessary, I'm not going to do a thing till he walks past me and starts to go away when I can't see that big old Google eye looking back at me from the side, you know, and uh, I've had to kill a few out at 30 yards as they were leaving. And uh, I've got burned a time or two and let them walk by me. But I just go with at the moment what I think to be good woodsmanship. And if I do not think I've also tried to push my luck, of course, and had them see me and stop, slam to stop, and stare at me in the tree because they caught me moving a little bit. So just watch them and learn. Ex- exercise great woodsmanship in that 30 seconds. Make good decisions. And if you're on automatic pilot, which is called buck fever, if you're going through motions, it never works out. I did that for years. I just would try to do something and not realize, and realize that I wasn't even thinking it out and it doesn't work out well, you've got to keep your head and have a rational thought process of what you can do and what you can't do. Don't get so excited about that buck until you shoot it, because actually, until you've killed that deer, you haven't done nothing but be a glorified nature observer. Um, there's nothing to get excited about sitting in a tree and watching deer, right? So don't just be a watcher don't get excited until you shoot it and kill it. Then you can leap out of the tree and jump up down and scream, you know. Um, Buck fever is a debilitating thing. My wife suffers from it nonstop and never makes any good decisions when deer show up. She goes <laughs> brain dead and literally liable to throw her bow out of the tree at the thing or something. And I did it for many years in my early career, but I finally got a grip on it and said, you know, if I don't stop getting buck fever. And if I don't start making good decisions, I'm never going to get good at this. And, uh, finally I just, something happened in my head and I said, okay, I'm not going to be a glorified nature observer today. I'm going to be a deer killer, you know? And so I don't know if I'd answered the question very well or not, but
3: anyway.
1: It it did. It did. I if you could Now this is one of those easier said than done things, Mm -hmm. but if you Uh had to give someone who's dealing with that same buck fever issue that your wife has, if you had to give them one, like a single line of advice for how to actually snap out of that, like, I understand you have to snap out of it, but like, how do you reclaim control mentally? If you could give them like a one line, two line, like do this, what would that one simple idea be?
4: Well, what I always tried to tell someone, if they're getting buck fever that bad all the time on bucks, they need to start quit hunting them for a while and just start killing deer. Go out and start shooting a bunch of deer. Learn to take your bow out and kill deer. Start shooting doe, start shooting as many Go just kill deer. Once you get subconsciously trained to kill those deer, I think, now don't get me wrong, the antlers, if you're an antler fanatic, antlers will always skyrocket you you know, out of your skin. But if you're if you're if you get once I finally got to killing deer with my bows early on and got to where I was killing meat deer and quite a few deer, it become a lot easier for me to stay under control because I knew then and there that I had it within my ability to kill this deer, and the fact that it had huge antlers or something would freak me out. It would I would freak out, and I mean I ain't going to lie to you. I've had a couple times even as an adult, old man that I pull. I don't know. I I can have a relapse of buck fever. I had one in Kansas a few years back with the biggest buck I've ever had in bow range in my life. And it caused me to not get the deer. I lost a 100% kill on the largest antlered whitetail I've ever had in bow range because buck fever come that day. I hadn't had it in, I don't even know, 10 or 15, 20 years. But because of that, it got me. So I don't really feel like there's anything you can do about it. It's going to happen. My wife's had it for 20 straight years. I've done every human thing I know to try to get her past it, and I've not been able to get her past it. And so I can't give a guy advice other than kill a bunch of deer with your bow. That ought to help. And then when the antlers show up, like when you turn and you see this giant rack coming at you, You've just got to turn your head and take a deep breath and go, okay. Now that freaked me out. That did. But I can do this and I'm not going to look at them antlers again. I'm going to ease my head back around and watch that deer come in. And I'm going to pretend, I, I have a really good ability to once I see one that I want to kill, I blanket antlers out. I don't know if that's normal, if anybody else can do that or not. But I literally could have a 200 inch deer walk in on me. And once I turn that initial turn and see him, if he's big and I know he's a shooter, I won't be able to tell you whether he's 150 inches or 220 inches. I, I don't even realize they have antlers on him once I decide I'm going to shoot him. And uh, so, just you know, if you get freaked with buck fever, just kind of close your eyes a second and take a deep breath and go, okay, it ain't about these antlers. I can kill this deer. I've been killing a lot of deer. This is a deer. Now, just ease back around there and watch him come on in and do what you got to do. And don't, don't look at his antlers again. If you can just look, watch his, watch his face, watch his eyes. I I, I get fixated on their eyes. If I can see their eyeballs, that's all I ever watch. I watch their eyes and that's where I get my readings of what and when to, to do things. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those, those eyes can definitely tell a lot of the story.
4: Oh. Well,
1: Eddie, I have got, I have got to wrap this up and the way we wrap this up and, and, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. The way we wrap these up is with a quick rapid fire set of questions. So I'm going to ask you six really quick questions here, one after the other. Yeah. And, and I'm just looking for like a one word answer. Yes or no, that kind of oh. thing. And then we'll, oh, we'll send you on your way and off to uh, to a 2020 deer hunting season. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> So,
4: right,
1: ready for the last few here?
4: Yep, go ahead.
1: All right, Eddie. Does the moon matter to deer movement? Yes or no? Yes. Would you take a 50-yard shot at a whitetail with your bow? Yes or no? Yes. If you could only have one of these tools for the rest of your years, deer hunt, would you pick rattling antlers or a grunt tube?
4: Tube.
1: expandable or fixed blade broadheads fixed blade should you stop a walking buck with a sound before shooting yes or no no which state has better deer hunters kansas or oklahoma
4: did you say deer hunters or deer
1: deer hunters
4: which state has better deer hunters
1: yeah kansas or oklahoma and-
4: um, boy, uh, I'll, I'll go with my home state. <laughs> I'm just trying.
1: Oklahoma. I'm trying to get you in trouble here, Eddie. <laughs> yeah,
3: and, yep, yep.
1: and that's yep. and that's all I got for you. You, uh, you've survived the gauntlet and given us a lot of really interesting, interesting stories and, and ways to think about this stuff. And I particularly have enjoyed getting to hear about your your evolution and uh, growth in these in these later years of hunting. So thank you for sharing that, Eddie.
4: Well, thank you. It's my privilege and God bless you and I'll talk to you down the line.
1: Sounds great. And that is a wrap. For those of you who stuck through all two hours, thank you. Appreciate that perseverance. I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you laughed. I hope you learned something and I hope that you are as fired up as I am right now. I've been out there getting after stuff. I just got back to Michigan, but I've already been hanging trail cameras. I've already been working on food plots, trimming lanes, and prepping tree stands. It's time to get after it. Although I do have to say, I forgot how miserable it is to do that kind of whitetail work in 90% humidity. Holy shit, the humidity here in Michigan is awful. That is one nice thing about spending time out west is it's nice and dry and cool. I just about died yesterday. I was soaked from head to toe, I literally came in the house. My wife made me take off my clothes and pants because I've got like burrs and poison ivy and stuff on me. And even my boxes were soaking wet. She didn't understand how that's possible. But I said, if you get out there hanging tree stands or trimming lanes in August in the Midwest, you will get it. And I'm telling you what, there's a lot more to do. So my wife better used to, uh, soaking wet boxes but i don't know where this is going this is quite the tangent to wrap it up let's just end this sucker now thanks for being here and until next time stay wired to hunt
0: hey if you guys like to cook outdoors and you oughta, you should check out the weber slate rust resistant griddle so this is a carbon steel cooktop It's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill.